<clears throat> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. You are now tuned in to the Let's Talk About It podcast. Well, no question is too dumb and no conversation is too deep. I'm your host, AP. Let's agree to disagree and keep that same energy. Hold up, wait a minute. Y'all got dollars finished nah. every single month. Nothing off limits. Yeah. Whoa. No capping. Let's talk about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk about it. Hello, hello, hello. It's your boy, Aaron Patterson. And we are back. We're back, y'all. Episode number 15. That's 15 weeks straight, y'all, of the Let's Talk About a Podcast with your host, Aaron Patterson. And this episode is brought to you by the good people over at BreakTheCycleGear.com. Man, uh, so uh, I had a list of topics I wanted to talk about uh, during the first season. And addiction has been on my list. There's a lot of people I know, like, uh, they struggle with addiction. And that's a topic that a lot of people said they wanted uh, me to touch on. They wanted me to talk on. And I've been like... I've been a little nervous about it because I really know how to, to go about it. But uh, DMX passed last week of a, of a drug overdose. And it kind of hit me deep because growing up, DMX, that was like one of my favorite rappers, honestly. He was a rapper that had a lot of different demons. He struggled. But like I felt like he had a genuine heart for God. So I always I always related to him. I always related to, to DMX's like dichotomy and who he was, man. And it kind of hurt my feelings, man, when he passed because I'm scrolling up and down my timeline. I see people asking us. He said, I sound bad. My audio don't sound good. How I sound? It sound better? My audio sound good, Riz? Let me know. It don't sound good? My fault. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep it going though. So yeah, uh, I got some guests with me. I got some guests. Uh, first off, I'm gonna bring my homie Brandon in. He's from the ATL. Introduce yourself real quick, Brandon. Uh, my name is Brandon Mount. I, I I struggled with addiction from the age of 11 until I was almost 30 years old. Uh, by the grace of God, I've been clean going on five years now. Clean from from meth, pills, cocaine, acid. I mean, anything really you can name it, anything outside of uh, crack cocaine and uh, opium, you know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, when God touched my life November 15, 2016, bro, it was, man, it was like a burden. Uh, uh, the whole world was lifted off my shoulders, bro. And and I'm I'm grateful that you that you want to talk about this subject because it's something that's much needed in, in today's society. That's real. How my mic sound? My, my mic sound better, y'all? Am I good? Let you me know if I'm good. good. You sound good said, to me, bro. It, you, you, it might be a little fuzzy here and there, but you know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Uh, I got my homegirl, Jade. We went to high school together, actually. Uh, yeah, we go way back, way back. So my homegirl, Jade, introduce yourself real quick. Hi, I'm Jade. I'm also a recovering addict. Um, I used for about 10 or 11 years. I'm coming up on my six years off heroin and five off methadone. So literally do absolutely nothing now. I don't drink nothing. Um, love life a lot more. I'm glad you're doing this too, just like Brandon, because you know I had a lot of family members not understand, a lot of friends not understand. And constantly it was like, why don't you just stop? So I'm glad we're talking about this tonight. 
Fire. And I got my homie MD. Uh, when I went to Worcester State, he was he was a buzzing rapper, so I heard about him a lot. And uh, a lot of my homies, Ray Saylor, and a couple other dudes knew him. They put me onto his music, and he fired. So uh, I'm gonna introduce my homie MD to the chat. Say what up to the people. What's going on? I'm Matthew Durso, uh, also a person in long term recovery, um, primary therapist in a substance use treatment center, and um, just like the two people before me, somebody who is uh, grateful to be involved in a conversation like this about uh, substance use disorder. I bet, bet I'm gonna set it off. So I'm gonna ask, uh, I'm gonna ask you first, Matt. What would you say to the person that says addiction is a choice? The person who believes that addiction is a choice. Um, I, I think that. Uh, that person probably believes that it's a matter of willpower, um, self-discipline or ability to moderate, um, ability to white knuckle, which anybody who has dealt with uh, alcohol or substance use disorder knows that um, it, is, it is not related to that at all. A lot of what I'm gonna talk about is probably gonna be in a 12-step context. Um, I'm a member of AA myself and the literature in AA is very clear that we uh, deal with the mental obsession, right? The mental obsession is what uh, compels us to fixate on the idea of using. And then when we introduce that substance into our body, we activate what's known as a phenomenon of craving or we trigger a physical allergy. And at that point, uh, I'm on autopilot and I have no say in what I will or will not do for the next one. I'm unable to stop once I start. Um, so I think a lot of addicts and alcoholics will probably say, if this was a choice and uh, I, was, I was causing so much harm to so many relationships and I was becoming broke and getting fired from jobs and having these physical health complications, I would have chosen to stay sober a long time ago. What I'm up against is something that is more powerful than my mind. It's something that's really more powerful than what is human. You know, this idea of willpower is human. My condition is, is greater than that. I deal with a spiritual disease. So therefore I need the intervention of a, a spiritual being or a higher power in order to relieve me of this mental obsession, right? It has nothing to do with me just tough, toughing it out and saying, I'm not gonna use today. I'm gonna go to bed sober today. I need to remove what's really going on in, in my thinking, which is this mental obsession. And, and um, God ends up being the answer for that. So. In, uh, my a long answer made short is that uh, if you believe that it's a choice, you've obviously never had a substance use problem, tried to stop, and ended up being unsuccessful multiple times in a row to where you needed something something bigger to help you. Bro, that's good. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question, Jay. What do you say to the people that say addiction is a choice, like just stop it, get your life right? What would you say to that person that feels like addicts, uh, can't control it. I feel like Matt on that so much because as I said before we started this, I'm going to school to be a substance abuse counselor. I'm in my internship right now. And there you can't just stop. You're physically mental, you're in it. We talk about impulsivity and compulsivity, the differences all the time in my groups because it's not like Matt said, you you're fixated on it. It's not you know, oh, I can just have a drink on a Friday and I'm okay. No, it's every single day you obsess about it. You need it. You physically need it more than anything too. I mean, and mentally, I mean, they go hand in hand. You're just keep going and going and going until you're spiraling out of control. Like he said, you, 
your relationships, forget it. Your jobs, forget it. Anything in your life is not important to you anymore. The only thing that is important to you is what you want to use, how you can alleviate your pain. Hold on, they keep clowning my mic. Is my mic still bad, y'all? I thought I fixed the mic. They clowned my mic in the comments. Am I better now? I'm good, I'm good. All right, Brandon, I want to ask you the same question. I feel like this is a powerful question, so I want to ask you the same question, Brandon. Uh, yeah, just let me know, like, what would you say to that person that says, like, stop your addiction to get over it? From a person who's been through that, what would you say to the person that says it's, it's your choice, what you went through? You, you know, it's it's funny, bro, that, that, you know, today would be the day that we would be talking about this topic because last night at work, me and a coworker were actually having this conversation. And me personally, it, it started out as a choice for me. You know, I chose to get high. I, I chose to do, I chose to put the substance in my body. And, you know, over time, it, it gradually became stronghold. It was something that, it was something that I couldn't control anymore. You know, as as Jade said, and as Matt as Matt said, you you can't you can't control it. It's it's like it's like trying 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 to run away from something, but yet being chained to the very thing that you're trying to run run away from. If you've ever mm -hmm. seen the movie Black Snake Moan, you know the 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 girl she's trying to run out of the house, but but he has her chained to the to the heater in the house. She can't get anywhere. She was a she was an addict to she was a sex addict. Right. And she tried to run and run and run. And she couldn't. And he was teaching her something. You know what I mean? And I tried to run for so long and get away from it that I couldn't. And it, and it, and it became a battlefield in, in my mind. You know what I'm saying? And I, I tried and tried and tried to get away from it. But as Jade said, man, it becomes the only thing you think about. How, what, what can I do? Who can I rob? What can I sell? You know, what, what, what can I do? to go and get my next bag or my next sack. And I don't care what I got to do to get it because I have to feed this internal fire that is inside of me. And the only way to feed it is with the substance. Dang, that's real. So my next question was like, take me through the mind of an addict. Like take me through the mind of an addict on a daily basis. Uh, I'll start with you, Jay. Like take me through like your mindset. When you woke up? Oh, man. Well, as soon as I would wake up, I was sick. Like, it didn't matter. Five in the morning, three in the morning, didn't matter. I was sick. Um, so it would be like, how do I get my next fixed? And that's if, you know, I'd be prepared most of the time. Like, so I'd have a bag for the morning. But as soon as that bag's over, oh, no, I know I'm going to be sick again in a few hours. Oh, no, I know I'm going to be sick. Now you have to think about getting the money. How are you going to get the money? Sometimes I didn't have a job. Sometimes I had to rob people. I had to steal. I had a pawn. I had to do anything possible to get my bag. I mean, but this was an all day occurrence all day from the time I woke up from the time I went to bed. It, it literally is probably the most exhausting disease that I think I know of. Dang, that's real. I'll ask you the same question, Matt. Like, in that period of your life, take me through your mindset when you woke up. Like, what, yeah. what were you thinking, feeling? Uh, I've heard I've heard people over the last few years equate it to almost like a 
survival instinct. And it may not be like a conscious thought that we have, but it's like this unconscious or subconscious belief that if I don't get what it is that I need or want, something bad is going to happen, right? It's like that feeling of panic and uneasiness and similar to what Jade said, uh, not having the luxury of what I will and will not do for the next one. It is absolute tunnel vision and whatever needs to be done, whoever needs to be harmed, whatever worldly possession needs to go to the pawn shop, um, that's, it's not even a debate. It's not a question of, do I feel comfortable doing this? Uh, what are the long-term implications of no longer having this cell phone or taking my dad's credit card out of his wallet? He's going to find out. Um, nothing is more important than uh, getting the next one. And now that same mentality applies when you put me in early recovery with no solution working for me. I may have 30, 60, 90 days abstinent, either in a treatment setting or just white knuckling it or whatever the case. Um, I'll start to put things on the scale and my mind is so sick that I could justify anything, right? Somebody could have a syringe that for sure uh, has HIV. And I would say, you know, I know that that's like not a good disease to have, but you know, the medications have come a really long way. And I think that uh, I could probably uh, wash it off real quick and still use it and not have anything bad happen. That's the type of mentality that me as a, as a serious drug addict would face. There's nothing more significant or more important uh, or more valuable than the next one, right? And uh, my behaviors reflected that, as I'm sure a lot of us probably have in common. Uh, the, the AA book talks about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And my, my behaviors and decisions over a number of what, years. What does that mean? That was a big term. What does that mean exactly? That, that basically means that I may have been raised in a good two-parent household and morals were instilled in me, but I demoralize myself in order to obtain my next fix. That's basically what that means. And a lot yeah, that of our was experiences, me. yeah, yep. for sure. I can't pick and choose what I will and will not do for the next one, unfortunately. Um, so that's what I'm dealing with on a, on a daily basis when my condition is not neutralized. I'm dealing with like that survival instinct, similar to like getting the next meal, right? It's like that on that same type of primal barbaric level where Dang. I need it and I'm going to do whatever needs to be done to get it. Dang. That was deep. It don't matter what you what you came from. It's like you're going to do whatever what you can to survive yeah. in the because you feel like that's survival getting your next high. Literally. That's what survival feel like you. I want to ask you, Brandon. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming you, you listen to DMX coming up here and there. Man, man, man. DMX was one of my favorites, bro. He was one of the, yeah. one of the realest to ever pick up the mic, bro. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. So yes, I want to ask you, as you're a believer, so when you see someone like DMX, who in all his interviews was proclaiming the name of God, um, in all in some of his skits on his songs, he was proclaiming God. But obviously, he had his other side. When you see that dichotomy of DMX, can what would what would you say that looked like as a a Christian addict? Like, is that an oxymoron or is that a thing? It's it, it's it's a thing, bro. Because like as Jaden and, and Matthew said, bro, it's there's nothing I won't do. There's not there's no one I won't hurt. Love is not even a question, bro. Love is not, it's not even, it's not even a word or a feeling or an action that you have unless it pertains to the drug, right? So 
I'll use DMX as an example. DM, DMX was going and, and he was preaching the gospel. He was never hit. People knew DMX was addicted to crack cocaine. He never hid it from nobody, right? And people knew he was struggling. All right, so DMX gets right with he gets right with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? He's on a good path. He's on a good path. There's there's something in in, in our in our spiritual walk, our walk with the Lord that if we don't if we don't stay focused in the word if we don't stay focused in our prayer if we don't have fellowship if we don't have those at least three people that we can reach out to and 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 grow with and talk to about hey look i'm i'm struggling with this can 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 you give me some advice you know i asked myself this question last night bro i was like how many christians walk past this man how many people walk past this man and and, and didn't try to uplift him or encourage him and show him Hey, look, bro, look at where you were. You don't have to do this anymore. You you know, you know the truth. You know the power behind the gospel. You know what Jesus did for you. Why are you why are you going back? And, and, and it's an attack. Again, it goes back to the mind, bro. It's an attack on the mind. You know, the the, the Bible talks about our our weapons, our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds is something that has us gripped in our mind. I have to do yeah. this. I have to do that. I can't get away from this. I can't get away with that. And then the scripture goes on to say that it, it takes it takes every thought and imagination that tries to hold itself higher than God. And we take all that captivity to, you know, in, into the word of God, to the word of Christ. So if we don't take those thoughts captive, and, and this is me as a Christian speaking on this. If we don't take those thoughts captive to the word of God, to what God says about us, to what Jesus has already done for us, to what we know lives inside of us, because the Bible says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, right? So yeah. in, in, in all that, you know, I, I look at DMX and, 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 and it breaks my heart. And for me personally, um... If it wasn't for Christian brothers and sisters who had been down the same path and walked the same path and and applied the teachings from the word and the truth of what Jesus did for them, bro, I wouldn't be on I wouldn't be on this camera right now. You know, I I, I died one time, like lit flatline. I'm dead. I was dead for like I don't know two hours, bro. And but I'm here. You know what I'm saying? And mm. So, 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 so in, in all that, bro, it's, it's how can I get it? Where can I get it? Who can I hurt? It doesn't matter who I'm going to hurt. And it even, and it even goes so far as to, you may have best friends in, in, in your addiction, but they become your enemy now because if they mm. have it, what can I, what can I do to get it from them? What can I do to take what they have? Because they have what I want. You know what I that's, mean? And, and, that's, and, it, and it, that's super it, real, bro. And it, and it becomes it becomes a it, it's it's bro it's, it, it's a fight it's a fight that our flesh is not gonna win it, and, and like Matthew said it's it's a spiritual battle bro it's 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 not a carnal battle it's it's, it's a spiritual thing and to help to help addicts who now don't understand it I believe it needs to be touched on from a spiritual level and not just a a, a worldly level you know what I mean. And I'm not I'm not knocking That's anybody that does it from from a from a, a, a book standpoint, but you know, I'm using the Bible as a reference, but it's it's more of a experience instead of a I'm I'm reading words on a black and white page. 
that's what I was that's what I was gonna ask y'all. Like in the the recovery books, is it like what what do they say like higher power? What do they say in the books like to help you? What the what do they tell you to like to lean on in these books? I mean, they say higher power a lot in my clinic. They say higher power. Yeah. They they tell yeah. you they tell you to they tell you to lean on the God of your own understanding. Right. Okay. Is, is, so they, they tell you, you so they say it's spiritual, like lean on right. something bigger than you. Yeah. To get out and of there's it. a number there's a number of reasons for that. And I actually I, I anticipated that coming up uh in conversation because I know that um, you know, maybe everyone in the room aside from myself, you know, follows a, a dogmatic Christian um you know, format of, of religion. I think the value, you know, this book was written in 19, the, the AA book, that's what I can really speak on, um, mm-hmm. you know, with competence, but uh, written in Ohio in like 1935, you know, the Bible Belt, right? So what they wanted to do is they wanted to, of course, encourage you to bring your pre-existing religious ideas into your personal program of recovery. So when they say God in the book, uh, you think Jesus, and then you tap into that source of power to do exactly what what uh, Brandon just said, which is win this battle that my flesh is incapable of winning. But if for some reason you have had a negative experience with religion as a child, or you were raised with a different religion in the household, um, like uh, Islam or, or Judaism, you are not disqualified from the solution. Mm. Right. So that's why, in the you know, they have a whole chapter about agnostics, which I've come to believe as someone who has has not really picked a dog in the fight. You know, no proof that God is no proof that he's not. The idea behind that chapter, we agnostics is um, if you have religious uh, beliefs, apply them and use them. If you don't, we are presenting this idea of a higher power as broad, roomy, all inclusive, never exclusive, uh, open to any man who seeks the only criteria is that it is not human, right? Because just as Brandon said, I couldn't have said it better. It's like, this is not a carnal battle. So the criteria for this power that's greater than you is it can't be human because so many of our experiences have shown no human is getting me sober. (laughs) Me, my mom, my girlfriend, my little sister, I love them. But like Brandon said, this is not, you know, the book says emotional appeal just, serves no type of purpose. So I need something bigger than me. And if you don't mesh with this idea of Jesus for whatever reason, and the spiritual journey is different for everyone, but if you don't jive with that idea, all you need to do is build a relationship with something that is bigger than human being. And now you're kind of, you're on your way. And I'm not, I I, I think that's good. I, I like, at the end of the day, I feel like Cause yeah, I know when you hear the word Jesus or God, some people are gonna run immediately. Mm-hmm, exactly. So like, yeah, so like, so that's dope. So you're saying to to get rid of an addiction, it has to be spiritual. Has like, to be. it has to be a spiritual something spiritual has to happen to get rid of addiction. That's, you gotta build that relationship and use that source of power to give you power that you don't naturally have. I think the three of us can probably agree. Uh, God has done things for me that I was just simply not capable of doing by myself. That's real. And, and, That's real. And, yeah. and if and if and if you look at it, and if you look at the breakdown of the twelve steps, um, again, you know, I'm I'm gonna reference scripture because that's 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 my heart in this. The the twelve principles were founded upon biblical scriptures. You know what I mean? And you know, again, I just like Matt said, it's it's, bro, it's it's definitely it's definitely not carnal. 
It's, it's not something carnal. It's if you look up, if you look up the word pharmakia, the Greek word pharmakia, it means pharmaceuticals. It means witchcraft. It means sorcery. It means the mixing oh. up of chemicals, right? Dang. And that's where we come up with drugs. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 a mixture of, of chemicals made because if you look at look at cocaine, cocaine starts as a plant. But when you add so many different things to it, it becomes a drug. Right. Look at mm. look at look at methamphetamine. You get all kind of different, all kind of different chemicals. You mix them together. There's your there's your form of sorcery or, or, or witchcraft, if you will. And then you place it into your body. You're allowing that spiritual sense to overtake who you are. You know what I'm saying? And hey, real quick, B, my homie, get at a good question. Uh, he said, when someone has an addiction, but they didn't use a higher power to overcome it, do you think that it was real or that they'll eventually relapse? That's, an That's a good question. Yeah. He, he always got question. the crazy question. question. <laughs> I, 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 real, real quick, I, I, I've come to believe that that person uh, is either not a real addict or alcoholic. Maybe they were like a problematic drinker or user or a problematic gambler or, or someone who engages in sex, you know, in a disordered manner. Um, they're either not an addict or it's, it's, it's uh, like a time bomb. That's in my kind of anecdotal experience. But if you're the real deal and you're, you know, using behavioral skills or uh, cognitive skills or you're doing hobbies and staying very busy in order to get another day absent and under your belt, um, if, if you sustain that over time, you're either not a real addict or uh, you're, you're, you're playing a dangerous game because it might work for six months, a year, five years. You know, I've known people put multiple years together um, and inevitably it ends the same way. That's deep. Would y'all agree with what Matt said? Yeah, because I know somebody that was clean for 15 years and he relapsed mm -hmm. because, you know, it was like, like Matthew said it, you know, you keep yourself busy and that might work for a little bit. It might work for years. Like it did this person I know, but I mean, eventually it's going to come back around. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 gonna say this. It, it comes down to the transforming of the mind, bro. Okay. It comes down to the transforming of the mind. We have to renew our mind daily. We have to be transformed, and that's an inward transformation. Transforming happens from 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 the inside out, right? And and it's again, it's it's an inward, yeah. it's an inward struggle. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I, I I just I, I don't. You don't I, see I it happening. Say, I, I can't say I agree with it, bro, because and, and, and I'm not knocking AA or NA or anything like that. But uh, I, I used to go to NA, NA and AA groups and 20, 20 plus years, bro, 20 plus years. People people been sober and then they come in two weeks later. Oh, I messed up. Well, how did you why did you mess up? Well, because because I, I, I didn't I didn't focus on my relationship with God would always be the answer. It would always be the answer. A hundred percent was the answer. I did not focus on my relationship with God. Well, where did you go wrong? I started to do it myself. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So <laughs> not, not belittling you or not badgering you, but how did that work out for you? Mm. Well, it did. I feel, obviously, I feel like that's what everything, when you stop focusing on that. It, 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 exactly. Yeah. Bro, and, that's what, and that's why I say, you know, you, you got to, it's, it's, be be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2, bro. We have to renew our mind daily. We have to. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? And and if every we keep, day. And if and if yeah. we keep if we keep renewing our mind, there's no there's no room for old stuff. What mm -hmm. what is what does the shirt say, bro? Old ways will not open new doors. It won't shameless happen. plug. Shameless plug. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it won't happen, bro. And if you continue if if you continue to do the same thing, you'll get the same results. I learned that in AA, right? I, I did learn that in AA. I learned that all old habits, old habits die hard, right? You keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result. Definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. When the result, all the result is doing is killing you, it's killing the people who love you, and it's, and, and, and it's crushing in, in any and every uh, opportunity that you have to grow to be a better member in society and to help someone who looks up to you because even in your addiction, people, people will look up to you, bro. I had little kids that looked up to me and I didn't even know it. And then when I came out of my addiction, it was like, Oh wow, you're an even better person than we thought you were. Mm. And I, and I couldn't see it in my addiction, bro. How do you see something good in me? Mm. And that's not a carnal thing either, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? You, how do you see something good in something so bad? The world, oh, the world will tell you that deep. person, the world will tell you, look at that person. Let's push them to the side. You know what I'm saying? But the, but, but, but the word, but the word of God says not to look on the outward appearance because God searches the inward. He That's knows our heart. He knows our heart, bro. You know what I mean? Bro, so, I had I had a good question, but I, my homie get always be saying the <laughs> stuff. I wanted to move on to that question, but like it, it made me think. He said, but the majority of people, uh, I'm gonna just put it on the screen real quick. But the majority of people, uh, they need a higher power. But sadly, even with the higher power, someone like DMX still struggled. Sadly, so what do you say to people that are leaning on a higher power, trying to, and they just can't get clean? What is what does that mean? Go ahead. Go, go ahead, man. Well, I was I, just going to say, I was going to take it back to what you just said. Are you really leaning on that higher power? Are mm. you really are you really surrendering everything that you are to receive everything that, that God is? You know what I'm saying? And it goes back to what I said before. If if I know the truth behind what, what happened for me, what, when, you know, Jesus dying for me, raising again from the dead doing all that stuff, if I know the truth behind that and I've had a personal encounter with him, there's not one person that he had a personal encounter with that was not changed completely. And they surrendered themselves to him. And then and then the transformation began and, and, and it came forth. You know what I mean? You became a new creature. You became a new person. All the old things are gone. You don't even, I don't even have a, if, if I, I, I've been around people who've been smoking weed, who've, who've uh, had cocaine on them and this, bro, I have no desire for it. I have none whatsoever. Like my mind, you, you couldn't, you could not make me take a drug now with where I'm at, with what I've learned and the transformation through my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's right. What were you going to say, Matt? I was going to say that, that, uh, that that question or or that comment written by your friend reminds me of the twelve step concept that says faith without works is dead, right? So faith and this recognition of of God and what He is able to do and what He has made possible in my life is really only half of it. The other half is my footwork, kind of on a on a physical plane. So 
the third step in the in the program talks about aligning my will with the will of my higher power or God, you know? So I could I could recognize that God is real and that he's produced blessings in my life all I want. But if my actions are not reflecting that or if my behaviors are not aligned with his will and they're actually aligned with my own selfish, self-centered, dishonest, you know, very uh, uh, lustful will, then I'm not going to get the same results. The 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 idea of a daily reprieve right? Reprieve being defined as the postponement of punishment. So it's not like I, I, I align my will with God's will for one year. And now I just bought myself four years of recovery. What <laughs> I did yesterday, according to God's will is not serving me when I wake up in the morning. So I may have really aligned my will with his yesterday, but I only postponed the punishment of active addiction for that day. Now I'm waking up in the morning with an untreated condition. I need to tap into that source of power and I need to move my feet in a way that aligns with his will and not mine. So DMX, you know, God rest his soul. He may have had this very clear conception of God and he may have had a very close relationship with God. And he may have had periods in his life where his behaviors were reflecting what it is that he knew and appreciated about God. But when you start to stray away from the path and those ordered footsteps and you start to live in self-will, that's when we get that unfavorable result. You know, they say the addict is an example of self-will run riot and any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I got to align my will with the will of my higher power every day, not for a little block, but on a daily basis. And like Brandon said, then I choose how long I stay sober for in this position of neutrality, you know? That's real. Uh, Jade, I want to ask you a question. It was on my list, but uh, okay. what was the low moment for you when you were like, you know what? Enough is enough. Like, oh. I, I got to What, what oh, was the moment that you were like, enough easy. is enough. I'm getting clean. <laughs> that's easy. Um, so I don't know if you remember him, my autistic brother. No, I remember him. Ty? Yeah, I remember him. Okay. So at this point, I was like, like I said, clockwork. Every single second I could get my hand on a bag, I would do it. Um, and my mom had called me really upset. And I was like, what's wrong? And she was like, well, you know, your dad seems really upset today because he said to me, you know, I really hope one day that Jade can take care of Ty, but I feel like she can't even take care of her damn self. And I just like, I don't know. It's just like something clicked that day. I don't know what it was. I got clean two weeks later. I, I just kept like holding on to that because even though I was in my addiction, like, and I did not care. Part of me, you know, when you have that bag gone and you're like sitting there with your own thoughts and looking at your own behavior, you know, it just, it sat with me and it didn't sit with me very well. And I, they had always thought that, you know, when they passed, I would be able to help take care of him. And it really bothered me that they thought he would have nobody because so I didn't that, even have myself at so, the end of the day. So, so, so feeling like your family couldn't depend on you was like, it just did something in you and made you be like, enough is enough. That's crazy. That, that was hard. Yeah. Enough. Cause well, cause my dad's very Vietnamese, you know, very take care of family, 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 family. And I felt like I couldn't give them anything. I couldn't even give myself anything, let alone anybody else. I had nothing to give. I had nothing and, to give. And, on and it that, just did not sit with me very well. And on that path where you said enough is enough, did you ever like relapse on that journey? And once you made the decision, you 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 went after it like full force. 
Yeah, it was about a week later after I had that conversation with my mom. And so I never booted. Um, I always blew everything. Um, that was an addictive process in itself. That was like my big like compulsion. Like I, that was my process. And it was my favorite thing at one point. And I woke up one morning, it was about 5.30 and I blew an entire bag. And I kid you not, the second that bag was gone, I started bawling my eyes out. I could not stop. I was so sick of myself. I hated myself. And I just said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. And that's when I went on the methadone clinic the week after that. Congrats. Congrats. I'm actually the same question, Matt. Mm. What was the moment for you that you was like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm, I'm getting my life back. What was that moment like for you? Jay, well, Jade, I got to say, that's a really beautiful story. Yeah, that, that was that beautiful, sounds, Jade. That sounds like, uh, yeah, you know, family. That's a, can, that's uh, a movie. Yeah. That's the climax of the movie. Yeah. Mine, you know, uh, the book talks about uh, alcohol beating, beating you into a state of reasonableness. And I went to like 20 rehabs uh, from like 2012 to 2015. And I was like hard headed and stubborn and uh, know it all and dishonest and didn't think that I needed uh, to take the suggestions that were being given to me. And um, I think I got out of treatment one time. It was in like November of 2014. And I, and I had a setup to go live with a friend um, in the hood of Del Rey and live in this little crack house and no longer in a sober house with all these people in recovery around me. I was like, this is what I need to use the way that I want to use. If I just don't have to take drug tests or don't have a curfew or don't have to get stuck back in rehab every time I use one time, I'm finally going to be able to figure this thing out. I'll get a job. I'll have a drug habit. It'll be all good. And in 60 days uh, from November to January of 2015, it was just like uh, they talk about like bottoms and bankruptcy, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational. Everything was just as low as it's ever been. I was skinny. I was sick. I was basically wasting away. I had a warrant out. I had physical health problems, failed out of college, family done with me. And uh, it got to a point where I miraculously, you know, was shown grace and mercy by God, ended up in treatment again. And I, and I kind of had this, uh, this moment where I said, Matt, you do the same thing every single time you go to treatment. You know, you sleepwalk through the program, you lie to your therapist, you get a little girlfriend, you tell war stories, and then you discharge 60 days later and you use almost immediately. Why don't you try to do it a little differently this time? Take some suggestions, take your hands off the wheel and uh, see if things go differently for you. I was so, so done, you know, and I, I was always told that the desperation is fleeting. So when you feel that, that gift of desperation, you got to capitalize on that very brief window with action. And that's what I ended up doing. Got the sponsor, worked the steps, started actually going to church at that time in my life and uh, volunteering and participating in therapy. And um, I capitalized on that very brief window of, of clarity and desperation because of how brutal the the two month run right before that was well that's that's a fire testimony bro that's dope yeah congrats, congrats bro that inspired me bro congrats man i'm glad to hear that of course yeah and uh brandon the same question for you what was that moment where you was like enough is enough like i'm taking my life back 
There's there's like there's like three instances in my life, bro, and they're spaced out over over set a, a couple. I don't know, four or five year period. So it's like they, the last one, the newest one. Uh, the newest one, man. Uh, I had I, I had uh been, got so bad to the point, man, where I was sleeping on the streets, couch to couch. Um, there was some people who were still trying to help me, but man, they 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 really were just doing. It was just really doing it based off of. I love this dude. I grew up with him. I know. I know this is not him, but there, there's there's only so much they knew to do because a, a couple of them were still, you know, living the same kind of life I was. They just weren't as hard into it as I was. And uh, the last time, man, um, I had moved up to Hayesville, North Carolina, to help this lady. She was struggling with addiction. Uh, this funny story. I was I was an addict trying to help an addict get her her, her <laughs> child to to get her child to get her child back, and I moved up I, I moved up there to help her clean up her apartment. I mean it was roach infested uh, apartment, bro. When I would when I would lay on the bed, like I would have roaches crawl over me, and I didn't even care, bro. I didn't care, you know. I just I just knew that I was being supplied with drugs. You know, I, I my, my my next high was already there, and I had left one night to go to Helen, Georgia, and I and when I got to where I was going, you know, I I did what I went to the place to do, and there was three kids in the house, bro. I had never done drugs in any house that there was a child in ever, and I went I went to the I went to the bathroom, and it was right by these kids' room. And I took out my meth pipe, I filled it up with meth, and I started smoking. And and as I was ex as I was exhaling, it hit me, bro, that there was kids in this house. And I just Damn. started ball like when I say bawling, crying, bro, like I'm an emotional person at, 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 by nature. I just started bawling, crying, bro. Like, what am I doing with my life? What if this was my daughter? What if this was my son? The reality of life hit me then. I wasn't being a father to my children. I wasn't being a son to my mother. I wasn't being a brother to my sisters. I wasn't being an uncle to my niece and nephews. And when I left that night, I, le I left out and was going back to Hayesville. And this unmarked car pulled out behind me. I knew, I knew in, in my spirit, I knew what it was. And... I just started praying to God, bro. I said, God, please just let me make it back so I can get high one more time. I just want to get high one more time. I promise just this one last time, let me get high. And bro, now that I look back on it and I think about it, that was probably the most stupid and selfish prayer that I've ever <laughs> prayed in my life. God, God, please grant me something that is not in alignment with your will so that I can destroy the life that you've given me. And bro, as soon as I got that prayer out of my mouth, the lights came on, the blue lights mm. came on behind me, and I wanted to run, bro. I, I was known to run from from probation. I was known to run from any issue, and I never faced it head on. And I literally had I, I was I was I used the term that Matt used. I was white knuckling the steering wheel, bro. Like I had, like there was no circulation going on through my hands, and I didn't pull the vehicle over, bro. 
I didn't because I wanted to run. Vehicle pulls over. I hear I, I hear God's voice tell me, it's time for you to go sit down, son. I got work for you to do. I had mm -hmm. I had been up by this time. I had been up for four or five days and no sleep, no nothing. I looked like a raccoon. You know what I'm saying? And the officer pulled me over, put, you know, he ran my ran my back, ran my my ID and all that. Driving with no license, you got warrants for your arrest, this, that, and the third. And I was like, you know what? Take me. I'm, I, I, I'm done. I, I can't. I can't do this anymore. And then when I got in the back of the police car, mind you, I've been up five days. Anybody who's Man. ever done anybody who's ever done meth, hard to go to sleep on meth. Very, very hard to go to sleep on meth. And I got in the back of the police car, bro. He hadn't even shut the door yet. And I was asleep. I was knocked out, bro. I was yeah. done. I sobered up that quick. I went For real? To sleep. I went to sleep. I woke up in the in the cell next to a man who was struggling with the same things, bro. And I got to pray with this man. And, bro, it was in that moment that I realized I was working for the enemy and I wasn't working for, for, for God. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And that completely transformed and changed my life, bro. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I hated the person that was in the mirror. I remember going to the cell when they put me in population and I got on my knees, bro. And I cried out to God. I said, God, please show me something in me so that I know I'm capable, you know, of recovering and not being a junkie for the rest of my life. Bro, when I walked by that mirror the next morning, bro, I noticed something. I noticed myself like I saw myself. And I was able to look at myself and say, you know what? I don't hate you. I love you. I love you and God loves you. And you're here for a purpose. And, bro, from that point on, it's been game over. It's been game over, bro. November 15, 2016, that's it. it was, that, that was it, bro. That was I it. Felt, I felt that in my soul, bro. That's real. <laughs> that's that real. It, bro. Uh, I know you said you had to head out like at 930 so, I mean, it's a couple of minutes for you. Uh, so, I had a question. So, I've heard the phrase, like, functioning addict. I've heard that phrase. I don't know what that means. Mm. So, for anybody watching, what are some signs that a family member or a friend is an addict? Like, what would you say, like, give some warning signs for the people to be able to, like, look out for if someone's an addict in their family or they friend or family, they want to help them. Like, what, what, what should people be looking out for? Or is it different drugs do different things to different people? Or is there, like... But, uh, or well, is there different like drugs have like different signs. You know what I mean? Like, Brandon, you said meth, right? Yeah. So like somebody on meth and somebody on heroin, like me and him, if we were in the same, like you'd be able to tell we were messed up, but mm -hmm. like in completely different ways. Like he would be bouncing off the walls. I'd be like drooling on myself. Like there's, <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm like it. it really is like two different worlds. <laughs> It, so you, it, it, you, you can't you can't hide it. You can't hide it. It it, it would be like it, it would be like uh the hamster in the wheel. It would be like the hamster in the wheel. And yeah. with yes. with hair with, with heroin, it would be like I'm alive one minute and then the next minute I'm like this. And I'm you not know what I'm saying. I, I, oh, I, so I'm, you're not off a lot. You it, it, 
that a makes sense lot. all the okay. time all the time bro and then like somebody and like my eyes who's... were always pinpointed yeah that's yeah. another thing yeah and, and the same like if somebody's with... on coke their pupils are huge exactly i was about to say that same thing with meth like you're you yeah you, you got you got <laughs> quarter dollar size pupils bro <laughs> Like you shine, you shine yep. a light in it. You shine a light in that person's eyes. You don't see no color. You know what mm, I'm saying. And normally, nice. when you do that, your eyes dilate. But when you're when you're on a stimulant, as cocaine, meth, uh, some pills do it. But sporadic, sporadic behavior, ducking and dodging the truth. Um, I was not, defensive not, all the time. That, that defensive. Too, not taking care of yourself hygiene wise personal you know what i'm saying like personal okay. care uh attitude bro attitude attitude happy one minute and then just ah like the hope another minute you know what i'm saying like it's it's there there's so many telltale signs to an addict that you know a lot of people overlook and you know, I, I agree with what with, with what Jade was saying. You know, at, at times, you know, you could be drooling on yourself, or you could be like that again, like the hamster in the wheel, or you could just be uh, reclusive. You know, uh, uh, go shut mm. yourself off. Go shut yourself off from the world. You know, you don't want to be bothered by anybody unless it's somebody who can give you a fix or is willing to give you the money to go get your fix. You can tolerate people enough to get what you want and you don't tolerate people anymore. Dang it. Yeah, I, like I always that. had a job, so nobody thought anything was wrong either. You uh, know what I mean? Like, oh, well, she's going to work mm -hmm. every day. Oh, well, she's still paying most of her bill. You know what I mean? I had three jobs at once. That's because I had to maintain my habit. And you, I still paid all my stuff and I still went had... to work every day. So I was a functioning addict. Hmm. So you had three jobs while you were on drugs? You was... Dang. That's no joke. That's yeah. pretty impressive. When I was yeah. on per thirties, I couldn't even keep one. <laughs> I was. I yeah. was. About to I had out. three. My habit was so bad. Yeah. It was yeah. so bad. I, I was had... like doing like a lot of perks. Yeah. <laughs> I had three. I had three jobs in one week. Three <laughs> <laughs> orientations in one week. You know what I mean? Three orientations in one week, bro. And got three different checks yeah. on the next Friday. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hit it really good. That's yeah, that a functioning addict, good. right? Yeah. I mean, you hide it really good. Yeah. So I asked you the same question, Matt. What would be some size? What what, what drugs did you say you were addicted to? You said it was uh, coke and what else? Yeah, heroin and cocaine. I think were the two uh, oh, heroin dominant and ones. Yeah. So uh, I can I can kind of connect with the the stimulant and the the downer piece that we're talking about. Um, as you know, a little bit different from maybe the effects of a substance. I think uh, I well I know that in the in the DSM five, which is like a book of disorders, you know, in the substance use disorder, any of them, whether it be a stimulant or an opioid or alcohol or cannabis, a lot of uh, the the focus is on this failure to fulfill uh, major role obligations, whatever those might be. So of course, I think that when when we're ten and eleven years old and we're like this happy go lucky kid, and then we start using a substance it's noticeable to everyone around us. Okay, Matt is no longer the, the person that he was. But to take that a little step further, you know, at 10 and 11 years old, maybe I, I, I take pride in my grades or I take pride in my athletic performance or I take pride in my appearance or maybe my relationships, whether they be friendships or romantic relationships. Now, all of a sudden, 
one thing after another after another is like taking a back seat. Like I'm no longer caring as much and I'm also not performing at the same level as I was before. So now I don't care if I'm good at sports or bad. Now I don't really care um, if I'm getting A's or C's or D's, right? Or I don't care if I'm getting suspended. Um, and, and that can be a, a red flag a lot of times because I know when I started smoking marijuana, maybe 12, 13 years old, uh, my friend said something like, you know, this was really fun. We should do this again next weekend. And I was like, I am not waiting until next weekend to do this again. <laughs> this has changed everything, you know? So now it's like in the morning before school, on lunch breaks, right after school, before bed. And it's like one by one by one, these role obligations of mine are being neglected or totally uh, eliminated. And I'm not, I may be functioning, but I'm functioning at a very low level. Um, so anybody that's looking uh, at somebody and trying to identify, okay, does this person maybe have a problem with substance use? Um, <laughs> this kid Terrence is the best. He's always- <laughs> No, he really <laughs> is. <laughs> he's probably never like, he's fun. I just sounded that out when he wrote it. But I think, uh, I think what's important is to realize like, how do I know this person and how are they kind of presenting right now? Are they the same version of themselves or is there alcohol or marijuana or or even cocaine use, you know, some people sniff cocaine on Friday and Saturday nights and have no type of problem. Um, but if, but if I'm now unable to fulfill my obligations, either in my family, at work, at school, in, in friendships, then I know that the substance maybe is affecting me in a way that is different from, you know, the average person, the non-alcoholic person. And that, that kind of leads me to my, one of my final questions is like, uh, Jade has dropped out, but yeah, yeah I'm gonna be real. Uh, I used to sell weed to Jade. I used to, me, me and Jade used to smoke. I used to sell weed to her because I was real cool with her boyfriend in high school. So we all smoked together, chill. So I want to ask y'all, like, so I, I know everyone says weed is the gateway drug. What made y'all need more than weed to fulfill that void? Like, was weed just not strong enough? Was it like, what was it on the inside of you that said, I need more than just? just weed and alcohol like what was it that made you say nah i need something stronger hmm. you can go um, first you can go first because i know you got deal. i'm i'm hanging as long as i can bro okay uh, what, what cause, you cause, say because this is important to me bro this is very important to me so um okay. so i started smoking weed at 11 and when i when i smoked weed it was like i'm happy you know what i'm saying music sounded better you know certain certain activities were better and then in those in the activities that weren't better, I was like, well, if we can do this, what can this do? And then I got introduced to Xanax. And then when I got introduced to Xanax, it was like, ah, okay. I see what areas of my life this, you know what I'm saying? This makes better. And then it became, and then it became, a, well, everybody else is doing this. Now I'm going to do this. And, and then it was, I, I, I'm, I'm trapped now. You know what I'm saying? I I I wanna I wanna I wanna do whatever I can to really numb the pain and uh be 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 a different version of myself because I thought I was more sociable when you know what I'm saying when I was mm. on drugs and, and and in all reality it was the complete opposite. I was very annoying. I was very needy. I was very uh um clingy, if you will to to certain certain things in life so you dropped out jay but my question was i was talking about yeah. how like 
we we used to smoke in high school together all the time. You know, we used to smoke. I remember I used to sell you weed and I all that back oh, in yeah. high school. Oh yeah, I, mean, I was smoking weed for a while. <laughs> yeah, too. A long so, time. So, so my question was, what made you go past like weed? Was it like was it was it it wasn't strong enough for you? You need something more, or like what made you say weed and drinking ain't enough for me? I need to 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 go to stronger, harder things. So someone we went to high school with wanted to roll. That was actually like my first. Yeah, they had us doing that too. I forgot about that. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, so I was selling those for a little bit too, but yeah, I mean. It was kind of just like, oh, I want to roll. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Why not? And then it turned into I rolled again and then again. And then I got into Coke for a little bit. And the whole reason really with that was like there was, you know, I just kept going. You know, I was just experimenting at first. Like it wasn't like, you know, no, none of us in this room, right? We're like, oh, we're going to be born an addict. Like that's just not, that's not how it like works i just literally was experimenting and then i was like really like this and then i just kept going further and to come down from the coke i started doing per 30s and i don't know what it it, that was the thing that got me like it wasn't rolls i did coke for a little bit but like that wasn't like what hit me hard was opiates so it was a slow progression towards the heart it wasn't like a it was like a slow progression in a sense Kind of, because even when I did coke, like as soon as the eight ball was done, I was like, well, where's the next one? Is Mm. there a next one? I really hope so, because I really want one, you know, and it just kept rolling and rolling. And I literally tried perks because I was so I had been up for days and days and days and days. I don't even know how long I just kept going to the casino and would get, you know, messed up before we go to this casino at the casino after the casino. And then I was like, I need sleep. Like I can't do this. And that's when perks came along and it was just, so, forget it. So perks, keep they you up. perks keep you awake. No. So Coke oh. keeps you really like going. And then I had to sleep. I had to come oh, down. I was okay, so, okay, okay. yeah. Like it's a downer, you know? So I knew that it would work, you know, which it did. I mean, I slept really good, but it was just because I was, you know, I had so much Coke in my body. I couldn't, like, my body wouldn't go to sleep. Like Brandon was saying, like, you know, you're up for four or five days. That's kind of the same, like, Coke. Like, it just keeps you going. It, mm. That's just how it is. So you have to come down from it. I actually, um, a couple times I tried benzos to come down from it. That worked, too. That worked too. Um, but yeah, opioids, forget it. That's what got me. Um, and the whole reason I started doing heroin is because perks just what weren't doing it anymore. I think I was up to like 15 or 20 of them a day. Dang. Like I would do three at once, four at once sometimes. Like, yeah. So, and I just got too expensive. I couldn't afford it. It wasn't even like, it was barely making me not sick. I just... I was doing too many. And then that's when someone was like, well, it's cheaper if you do heroin. And I was like, well, how much cheaper? What are we talking? A couple bucks. And they were like, no, like it's, it's cheaper because you're going to do a little bit and forget it. You're going to be like, oh my God, why did I ever like not touch this before? Because everyone mm. was like, oh, you're throwing away your money with perks. Cause you re- like at one point. So when you were an Adderall, like 
this is when we were younger, like when you were still around up here and they were like $20 and then they turned into like, oh, well, 25. Oh, well, 30. Oh, well, 35. Oh, well, 40. At that point, at $40, why not do a bag of dope? And that's how that started. So. Dang. So was that kind of the same for you, Matt? Like the progression from weed and drinking was like kind of like a slow one where you just start, you started dabbling in different stuff and then eventually you're just like, oh, this is the good stuff. Kind of like. I think there's probably some similarities for sure. I, I, I um, I've come to really understand about myself that the, uh, my substance use was never really for fun. It was never really like a social lubricant. It was barely even for social acceptance. It was really always on the more medicinal side, like trying to treat the condition that we've basically been talking about for this yeah. entire conversation, you know, that spiritual malady that exists within me. And, and of course, this was never a conscious thought when I was reaching to, to smoke weed or trade my lunch money for weed at 13 years old. I didn't know, oh, I'm treating a spiritual void that exists within me. And, you know, I, of course, I, I've really only come to understand that as I've gained a deeper understanding for alcoholism. But I, uh, I was not okay before the first time I put a substance in my body. I felt inferior. I felt anxious and restless. I was always comparing myself to other people. I felt like I didn't fit anywhere. Just felt inherently different than the first time I smoked marijuana. It was like, I didn't care about that anymore. I felt connected. Some people will actually say that their experience with a drug is like their very first spiritual experience because it kind of takes you out of yourself. It's like, it's like my friend calls it like the shortcut to God, right? So it gives you that feeling mm. of I can relax and I feel connected. And then, you know, the progression of, of specific substances, it may have had to do something with where I was living and what people around me were doing. But really, I was just trying to up the ante because marijuana was no longer filling that void uh, effectively enough. Right. So then I want to start using cocaine and that'll fill that void and make me feel whole and connected for 20 or 30 minutes at a time. And then it'll go away. And now I really desperately want the next one because being sober in my own skin with that gaping void within my spirit was unpleasant as it, I'm sure it sounds that way. So that's, I think, where uh, the progression comes from. Marijuana is no longer filling this void for me. So let me let me go up a little bit to the next substance and then the next uh, route of administration, right? I, and I think that goes back to the demoralization piece. I said I would never smoke marijuana. Then I said I would never sniff drugs. Then I said I'd never use a syringe. Then I said I'd never share a syringe. And before I know it, the desperation that I feel to fill that void trumps all. And uh, there's nothing that I won't do in order to get out of this state that I'm in, uh, which is like this restlessness, irritability, discontentedness that they talk about in the program. Come to find out that a spiritual connection does exactly for me, gives me that sense of ease and comfort that the substances were doing just uh, without the laundry list of, of consequences, you know? Dang, bro. That's so real because that's super real. Hey. Kind of, I kind of wanted to end around this too, because uh, yeah, it's kind of close home for me. Because I got two personal experiences with this. Like uh, Jade, I think you know We Sam. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, We Sam. I used so, to hang like, out with Wee Wee. Yeah. We so, called like, 
Yeah, we call it. Yeah, yeah. pause. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So oh, me, 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 and We Sam had a falling out towards the end of his life. Like it was over some girl, some fake drama stuff, and like it hurt me because toward the end of his life, I had homies that tell me he was nodding out and he was just kind of like drooling, doing all these things, and he eventually he overdosed, and I, I beat myself up because. I knew I was the one person in his life that was kind of on the straight and narrow that I could have maybe got to him. And I let fake beef and drama get in the way of me, like just like being there for him when he really needed me. So that kind of it still stick with me to this day. Like, dang, I could have maybe made a difference. And one of my other homies, uh, he died of an overdose. This is a dude I would smoke with all the time. I would pick him up when he arrives. We hang out all the time, but I never had a real life conversation with him. I never I never was looking for signs. We would smoke and I would go home. But like while this, he was like, uh, you probably know Danny Rivera too, Jay. Uh might have known him through uh passing. And I like do. he he overdosed. Mm-hmm. And, like, and I had no idea he was using. He had no idea. So that's why I asked y'all what are some signs? Because there might be some people in my life right now who are using and I have no idea and we hang out, we kick it, but when they go home- Yeah, we're good at hiding it. Yeah, then I had no idea. So that's why I asked yeah. this question. So uh, one of my final questions was like, what does enabling, what's the line of enabling an addict and being there for them? Cause uh, like, cause I get a lot of messages like, hey bro, I need some money just to do this here and there. And my heart is to be like, okay, you told me you got nowhere to sleep tonight. You told me you're just trying to get a hotel. If I have the bread, like I'm gonna send it to you. So I don't really know the line of enabling an addict and being there for him. What would y'all say is like, is that a really thin line? What does that look like for somebody that's trying to love an addict? If that makes sense. I'll, 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 hmm. yeah. Brandon looks like he's got a thought. Yeah, go ahead, Brandon. <laughs> this is a tough one. What's the what's that? Man, look, like? look bro. It's I'm, tough. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my heart in this. And and, and my heart, my heart is is if somebody reaches out to me. And I see signs in their life. Like, hey, bro, I need some money. Can you loan me some money for, you know, some random whatever it is? Nah, bro, I'll come and pick you up, and we'll we'll, we'll go we'll go get that together. Or you need a hotel room to stay tonight. I've done that. Uh, all right. Well, okay. If you need a room, let me go pay for this room. That way, you know, I'm I don't want to, because I know what it was like for me. And I would use every line of the book. Hey, look, I need money for this, or I need to pay my probation, or I need uh my child support is behind, or you know I, I ain't got no food in the house. You know I need to feed this, or I need to you know I need to do this, I need to do that. Knowing good and well, the money was not going to that, bro. And I knew that if I could get in one time, I could get in any other time, because now I know I've got you gripped by the heart because you care about me. And then if you don't care about me, then I'm going to lash out at you and make you feel like you're the bad person because you're not feeding my addiction. Whether you know it or not, but at the same time, it's like, if I can help you, I'm going to come and help you physically. We'll, we'll do this together. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's it, the, 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 line, the line between enabling and, and, and being there for them is... I, I, I this is how this is just how I see it. It was in, in, in my walk was if somebody gave me money and didn't go with me to do said thing that I needed the money for, I was going to get high. But if somebody wanted to come and help me, then nine times out of ten, I would say, "No, nah, I'm good. Never mind. Don't worry about it. I found somebody else." 
because I didn't want them to see that side of me. But at the same time, if we're if, if we're going to reach out and help a brother, you know what I mean? Or a sister, go to that person in person. You know what I'm saying? Go go get them what they need, not what they want. You know what I'm saying? And, and when we do that, that's a that's the biggest form of love that we could possibly do for somebody is to lay down ourselves to go and help them do whatever they need to do. But we don't enable them by. Okay, well, you need this much money. Let me go take it out of the bank. Or nowadays, Cash App, Venmo, you know, PayPal or whatever. Don't don't you don't just send them the money because at the end of the day, if that person re uh, overdoses and dies, then it's on your conscience. I'm the reason that person overdosed Dang. and died. I could have went to that person in person and helped them and spoke to them and 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 had that real life conversation that you were saying you weren't able to have with your brother that that passed away and god rest his soul you know i i had the same the same thing happen to me just recently i had a brother reach out to me and he called me and i was on the phone with my with, with, with my girlfriend and we were talking about some real life stuff and i texted him and i was like i'll call you back bro well i never called him back and i got a call the next morning that he died and it was due to Dang. due to alcohol and it was due it was due to you know i don't know if he had any other drugs in the system but when i went to his when i went to his memorial service i almost felt i almost felt as if it was my fault because i didn't reach out to him and you know on the spiritual side of that the enemy tried to use that against me to say see look at what you're not doing you mm -hmm. say you say you love people but yet you couldn't even reach out to your friend you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I've had that happen a couple times. And then I made the vow within myself to myself and, and to God that if anybody ever needed me, one, I'm going to reach back out to them. And two, if it's physically in my power to where I can go and see that person. You best believe I'm dropping everything I got to do and I'm going to come and see you. We can talk about it. And if you need something, I'll go buy it for you myself. I'll keep the receipt. Well, no matter whatever it is, because we know that we can take things back and we can get what a, a gift card or money back or whatever. Well, see, I didn't even and think of that. I you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, you, you, mm -hmm. gotta, you, gotta, you gotta think, you have to think in the mind of an addict and the mind of an addict is, okay, if I got the receipt to this, I can take it back and guess what? I'm gonna get a gift card. And most, most dope boys now or people who sell drugs now, gift cards just as good as cash, bro. You know what I'm saying? They'll food stamps, it. food stamps, whatever, whatever they can get to make a dollar because they can take that, that gift card and sell it to somebody else. And then now they got the cash and it's, 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 it's a cycle, bro. You know what I mean? So, so your we, advice would be if you can't be there physically, then like it's probably not smart to send them money if you can't be there physically. Never. Yes, sir. Yeah. Like I, I would, I would I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely against sending somebody that i know or suspect being uh addicted to drugs sending them cash because from somebody who was an addict if you sent me cash bro i'm going and getting high as soon as i get that money yep. as soon as i get Man. it there's I've, no it, no it no yeah. if ands or buts about it bro and there's yeah. really there's really no other way to look at it mm -hmm. i've cashed up a couple of people now <laughs> Cause like I'm in Atlanta, so it'd be homies from back home and stuff. Like, yeah, hey, I just need a hotel for the night, or they'll give me a good story. I'm just like, my heart's like, 
Oh. All right, I, I got the 80 bills. I'm like, all right, here. So I'm like, but now I'm like, We're very manipulative, though. Yeah, they you know? on my, on my heartstrings. You know what's crazy about that is that there's there's probably examples where somebody really wants to sleep in a hotel one night, and they're like, if he sends me this money, I'm going to go get the room, and they have every intention of doing exactly what uh, they told you they're going to do. Then the cash hits, and now like I got that active mental obsession, and I could have passed the polygraph when I told you I was getting that hotel, but now that money is in my hand, and I got the choice to make either this room or $80 worth of whatever, and I'm going. That kind of comes back to this idea of choice that we talked about or the lack thereof because I don't have the luxury of getting a hotel over $80 worth of whatever. And I didn't even really mean to hurt you. I didn't even really mean to be dishonest with you. Mm, I needed the hotel and I intended on spending the money on it, but you put that cash in my hand without a working solution. I'm doing what I do as a drug addict. That's right. I need to hear that. Cause like, and, I, just, think, I need to hear that. <laughs> think about this too, Aaron. Can, can can a man take fire and put it in his bosom and not be burned? Can nah. a man walk, can a man walk upon a heap of burning coals and his feet not be burned? Think about that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If, 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 if me being, being an addict, I come to you, I ask you for some money. As soon as I get the money, like Matthew said, my intentions may have been pure in the first because I'm tired of sleeping on these streets. I'm tired of laying on the concrete up under this bridge. I got coyote. I got coyotes coming and looking at me. This is a personal experience that I had. I got coyotes coming and looking at me like I'm a piece of meat. You know what I'm saying? Send me the money so I can get a hotel. Like I'm, I'm a stone throw away from my house. I can't even get in the house that my family lives in. The people who tell me they love me, but let me get that money and i don't care about the house i don't care about the hotel i don't care about none of that i'll sleep under this bridge again as long as i can get high Mm -hmm. as long as i can get high because ultimately at the end of the day in the in the mind of an addict bro in the mind of an addict and it's sad bro it's 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 sad that uh, there's so many people struggling with this in the mind of an addict the next high then the next come up the next whatever to get that high is what matters the most and trumps any and everything that that person is going through. It doesn't matter. Their mother could be dead in a casket, bro. And they'll want to go get high instead of go be there with their family. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen all too, all, all too much. Or they'll go to the funeral. Dang. They'll go to the funeral with family members who have drugs or whatever. This is another personal experience. And they'll get high at the funeral. And then they'll go happen. off. You know what I'm saying? And then they'll go off and continue to keep on getting high it's a vicious it's Mm -hmm. a vicious it's a vicious cycle bro and we and we have to we have to as 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 believers you know what i'm saying we have to bring the truth to people and we have to bring you know what i'm saying uh life to them because death and life are in the power of the tongue those who love it eat the fruit thereof bro we can speak life into somebody. The words that we speak from our mouth can literally break any chain that is holding anybody in bondage. I've seen it happen time and time again. And you know what I'm saying? It's really what it boils down to, bro. Are, are, are we willing? That's real, are we, bro. Are we, are we willing to be the hands and the feet? Are we willing to be the very dirt that gets trampled upon? We, what, are we, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to be a doormat? Or are we, are we trying to be a doorway to a new life? What do we want to do? You know what I mean? 
You appreciate it, appreciate it. Jay, you want to uh, kind of touch on that, too, what they were saying? And after that, I'm going to read my homie Edify Sounds comment because it's, it's really good. I want to read it. But, uh, hey, but bro, Jay, I, I don't I don't want to interrupt nobody, bro. You, I, you can I'm head out get, now. I'm going to get off here. I want y'all to know I love y'all. If y'all don't have me on Facebook, if y'all need ever need anybody to talk to, reach out to me. Aaron will tell you I, I'm here. And he Aaron, real. Send, he me, real. S- send me that email address, bro, and we gonna, I'm, I'm going to send you the, uh, the video. I say less, my G. I appreciate right. you. I, I love y'all, man. Y'all have a blessed night. Thanks, Brandon. Right. You too, man. Have a good All right. night. All right, later. Oh, uh, yeah, Jade. Uh, so, yeah, it, I guess as an ex-addict, what what could people have done better to help you and what, like, enabled you that you didn't quit as fast as you could have? Was there something that people could have done better to serve you or you were just like, Nothing nobody done could have helped you. And it was like, it wasn't until you were ready to change. I don't think anybody could have helped me when I was using that bad. Because, you know, I'm very close with my parents. Um, At one point, I, like, didn't have a relationship at all with my dad. But my mom has always had my back. And, like, she's she tried so hard. Like, she anything, anything and everything. She would bring me food. She would give me rides everywhere, like anything I needed. But, you know, back to the enabling thing, like she would also give me money, but you know, she was torn. She didn't know like what to do, but you know, we talk about it now, like today, you know, with me working in this clinic and stuff, you know, I watch a lot of people's family enable them and they don't think they're enabling them. You know, Mm -hmm. um, like Brandon said about like money, it's the worst thing you can do. I know you just want to help, but like I've, so one time I had somebody come up to me and say, I need to borrow $40. Now I know a bag of dope costs $40. I think most of us do. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, okay, what do you need the money for? Now this person's a diabetic. I knew he was a diabetic. And just like Brandon said, you know, you got to bring them to go get it, you know? So he was like, well, I need it for my insulin. And he was on insulin and I knew that I said, okay, so I'll do you one even better. Do not pay me back. I will bring you to CVS. I will buy it for you. And I just want you to be okay. So don't worry about paying me back. And he like refused it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, like I'm all right. Like, and I'm like, yeah, but you just need your insulin. So I just want to get that for you. And he's like, oh, I'm all right. You know, so like, so like you can catch somebody up there and if like you want to know, you know what I mean? Like if you have your suspicions, like there's things you can ask or like situations where like you can kind of feel it out. You know, I knew what was up. I mean, but I'm also an addict. That's why I knew what was up. So I'm glad you asked questions like that, you know, because yeah, cause my like mom it didn't is- think she was enabling me. Like mm. she didn't. Mm. Not at all. She really didn't. Is- in Atlanta, like anytime you at a stoplight or you hit a gas station, there's somebody asking for money. Mm-hmm. And my heart is like, you know, I'm yeah. a Christian. My heart is like to serve and help yeah. people. So I'm always like torn because I'm like, I have money on me, but I'm like, should I do it? I'm always like wrestling because my heart is to give everybody that asks money for money, money. So it's like, that's why I ask this question. And I've heard people say like, just give them the yeah. money. And what they do it is it between them and God. Just give them the money. That's what I've been told. So from what y'all are saying, that is not a smart mindset to just give people money when they ask. No. It's not smart. I totally disagree with it. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Because every single time I've been like, oh, 
I need gas in my car. I got the money to put the gas in my car. Do you think I put gas in my car? Like, no, I did not. <laughs> like okay. every time, no matter what. Mm -hmm. I need grocery money. Do you think I, you know, I, I kept saying to my mom for a little bit, I have this going for a while. Oh, you know, I'm in between jobs okay. and I need to pay my car insurance. And then when my car insurance letter got sent to her house saying that my insurance was going to be shut off, you, you know what I mean? Like, okay. do not send money. No, you know, so, you know, the area, obviously, because we grew up together. So when I was working in Providence, what I would do when I would be working is like, I knew all like the corners, like you're talking about, like, you know, the spots, right? What I would do is uh, when I would go on my lunch break to McDonald's, I would buy like a ton of food and I would just stop. Mm on my way to other stores for work and I would drop off food instead mm. of giving the money. Oh, so you were slick, you with know, it. bottles <laughs> of water. I used to hand out. Yeah. Because I know like, and I, every time Aaron, I swear, like I feel so bad because like you could see, like as soon as I handed them the food, like they would eat it like, like quick. Like you could tell these poor people are starving. You know what I mean? And my heart goes out to them too. I'm a very caring person. Um, and I just knew if I gave them money, I knew where it would go. I just, about, I just feel about, so, because I know the I'm struggle. I'm about to add somebody you know? real quick. I'm add my homie Kid Cast real quick. He said he wanted to hop on. So, yeah, uh, continue what you were saying, though, Jay. My fault. You, you, oh, you no, good? you're good. I was just saying, okay. like, I just couldn't, I couldn't just do that. You know what I mean? Because I know as an addict, like I said, where it's going, like, you, you're not an addict. So, you're, you're just your heart's just like, oh, you know, and mine is too. But like, I know where the money's going. I know where it's going to go. What, whatever their substance of choice is, you know? That's real. I want to read my homie Edify's thing real quick before we head out. Uh, he said he went to the doctor for a year straight for high, for high anxiety a few years ago. He thought he was dying. He even had tests done. The doctor prescribed me Xanax, Percocet, Valium. By the end of it, I was taking three Xannies a day just to function. They decided to cut me off after a month of taking it. I had withdrawals and even tried to get benzos on the street. Oh, it, my God. Uh, never a good idea to take addictive drugs, even from the doctor, if you have an addictive personality. That's mm -hmm. kind. That was one of the questions I wanted to add on. Like, How do y'all feel about like doctors prescribing these hardcore drugs? Because when I know when I broke my leg in high school, they gave me like Vicodin. And I remember being like, yo, this stuff's strong. Yeah. I, I remember being like, I don't. Like, yeah. I was like, this took away the pain. So I'm mm -hmm. like, and I had a broken leg. So I wonder like, what's your perspective on like, on, on those type of drugs? Do you think that, how do you know you have an addictive personality to tell the doctor mm -hmm. like, no, don't give me that. So like, first off with the benzo thing, I hate the benzo thing. And I'll tell you why I hate the benzo thing. Because, yes, it's used for anxiety and stuff, but, like, he said he was on it, and then, like, the doctor, like, dropped him, like, a lot, or uh, is that what you just said? Yeah, he said they gave him that, a lot, but they, they took him off it, like, three weeks later. Uh, yeah, see, so, like, when somebody's withdrawing from benzos, like, depending on the doctor, too, like, I hate benzos. And because you can die from benzo withdrawal why because you'll have a seizure you can die from alcohol withdrawals? and benzos are the two yeah those are the, oh, you, like heroin like me like i felt like i was dying but i'm not i'm i wasn't actually like dying i just felt like i was dying like physically mentally like done however when you 
when you withdraw from benzos or alcohol, if it's that bad, the person can actually have a seizure and die. So no mm. offense to these doctors, but you're prescribing something like that, knowing that if they withdraw too quick, like you can have a seizure and die. So like, I personally can't stand doctors, but that's just me. I mean, I understand your broken leg and everything like that, but like, yeah. the benzo thing is like, sometimes it's so excessive and they're like, just beaming the person up with it. They don't realize like, the person taking it doesn't realize like they can have a seizure and they can die from it. That's crazy. What you think, Matt? And I'm gonna get you after you, kid. Yeah, I think uh, with any medication, it should be started and stopped uh, under the supervision of a doctor. I to this day, this is more of a personal opinion. I don't understand. You gotta have like some seriously severe anxiety for Xanax to be the appropriate medication. You know, it's such a strong and uh, foster such a dependence. It's just unbelievable to me that people who are having, you know, uh, mild or moderate anxiety symptoms are prescribed Xanax. But that's kind of a, a whole nother conversation. My dad worked as a nurse in the recovery room at in UMass in Worcester for a number of years. And he helped me kind of reframe my thoughts and beliefs on certain medication, right? The, everybody, I think, is aware that right now we're in the midst of a fentanyl crisis, right? Kids, teenagers, kids that are trying to get cocaine or even marijuana or use heroin or pills. It's fentanyl, a very small dose is lethal and these kids are dying. Um, my dad will say fentanyl is a great drug, right? He's been using it for 25 or 30 years. It's like a super effective and uh, appropriate drug to use in a number of uh, medical situations right? Loading it up into a syringe in your friend's bedroom and then sticking it in your arm is probably not the appropriate way to consume this substance. But uh, these drugs are not inherently bad. If we view addiction or alcoholism through this uh, lens of 12 steps, I have the spiritual malady, which means that I cannot use any mind or mood altering substance safely. I can't moderate. I can't utilize my own self-discipline. I'm going to get out of control. I'm going to stop and then I'm not going to be able to stay stopped. And when I start, I have no idea how much I'm actually going to use. I know a number of people that broke their leg or broke their arm and got prescribed Percocet fives or tens, right? They take them for two or three weeks, then they stop. Uh, maybe they feel like shit. Uh, they feel like crap for a couple of days. Sorry. Uh, no, nah, go, go ahead. <laughs> but, but they don't hit the street looking for heroin, right? Because this spiritual malady does not exist within them. That is unique to alcoholics, right? So Percocets are not bad, but Percocets should probably be avoided by somebody who has this, uh, you know, alcoholism within them. So I don't know. I, I know so the doctors. You're, you're I, saying it all stems from like alcoholism. Like sure, the, the condition, yeah. Or the addiction. Condition. Yeah, they're used synonymously. Okay. So if I have this condition, I'm going to have a bad experience with Percocets. If I don't, Percocets might be the best medication for me. If I just got a major shoulder surgery, I'm going to take my little five milligrams every six to eight hours. And then I'm going to be able to not refill the prescription. Maybe I'll feel a little off physically. But uh, that's going to be that, you know? Okay, that's good. Uh, kid, I'm going to ask you because you just hopped in. My homie Jake said, 
Uh, in my opinion, some meds are needed. Some of us can't really function properly or make good decisions without them. Would you agree or disagree with that? Um, I think that first off, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. we hear you. Here we go. Okay, cool. Um, first off, I think that's um, it's usually case by case. Um, I think, and I heard Jade saying it earlier. I don't think doctors do a thorough job at not only one knowing their patient, but knowing where their patient comes from, because especially if you've been through some type of trauma in some sense like you said you broke your leg say if that was not only you know it was traumatic like you literally broke your leg but in case you were you've inherited some form of ptsd you can end up picking up a dependency and associated with this drug um so i think that's dangerous and you know when you just prescribe something to anybody and then not manage that with them because they're going to go off of their own understanding. Yeah. As we all know, um, our own understanding and righteousness is pretty flawed, but when they don't have that managed and regulated, they're going to try to look for that alleviation anywhere, regardless if it's going to give them that same, um, resolvement as like, I guess this medicine that doctors would prescribe them. But I just think it's case by case, but it's still a dangerous, a sticky game at the end of the day. Were and for people who don't know, uh, you told me you're you're a recovering addict as well. Like how how many years you've been sober? Uh I will be what day is it? It is it's the twelfth. I will be nine years sober from alcohol. Um, in eight days. So yeah, in eight days. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Wow. So congratulations. So this is this is the final question I have for everybody. So I've heard this phrase, and again, I might be ignorant. That once an addict, always an addict. Is that an ignorant phrase or is that truth? I'll let you, I'll go with you, Jay. No, I'm an addict forever. I just don't use. <laughs> I'm an addict forever. I just don't use. I know that I'm. I'm aware of my behavior. I'm aware of what my old behaviors cost me. I'm not willing to do that again. I know what they are. I know what I did, and I'm an addict. I will always be an addict. But I know where I stand. You understand. So I guess, yeah, my thing with that has always been like calling yourself an addict. Is that like, like, is that wrong to say I'm always an addict? Because then you're going to be identifying with that as like part of your identity or that's not how you view it. You better I mean, I don't view your... it that way personally. Okay. Cause yeah, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I don't like, not in a bad way though. You know what I mean? Like if you know, I'm going to hang out with somebody new for instance, and like, what if they were to drink? Okay. Hey, I'm an addict just to let you know, like, I kind of just like throw it out there. Cause I'm not ashamed of it. I mean, I'm not ashamed of my journey at all. Um, if anything, I think it brought me right where I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to help people and now I have, this amazing opportunity to help addicts, you know, in recovery. And I think that's great. I mean, I'm not ashamed of it, but yeah, I mean, uh, to me, I will always have an addictive, like I'll always be an addict, you know? Uh, what about you, Matt? What would you say to that? If someone said once an addict, always an addict. Yeah, I'd say 110% true. Uh, I think it's important to remember that the substance and the, and the compulsive substance use is really just a symptom of the condition, right? I have a condition that makes me compulsively use substances. If you take substances away from me, I'm going to compulsively use something or someone else in order to fill this void that exists within me. 
And so I have this condition. I always, uh, and without sounding insensitive, if anybody has a family history of diabetes, but I've always drawn a parallel between, uh, you know, neutralizing uh, addiction or alcoholism over time and neutralizing diabetes. If you keep yourself in check from what I know about diabetes and you test your sugar and you give yourself insulin when you need to, your life will probably go on uninterrupted. Probably will not mess with your lifespan too much if you're diligent with regulating your condition on a daily or hourly basis. If you start saying, oh, I check my sugar all every day last week, I could chill this week, you're probably in trouble. And it's no different than uh, alcoholism or addiction. The second that I start to separate alcoholism from my identity, I will use again. It's not an if, it's a when. It's a guarantee. When I start to tell myself, I have six years sober, I can definitely smoke a joint or have a drink, I'm in trouble, right? So what I do that goes back to what we talked about a little earlier regarding this uh, daily reprieve, I'm postponing the punishment of active addiction for another 24 hours. And an addict uh, needs to do that. A non-addict does not need to do that. They're going to get as close spiritually as they want to. Um, me, I need to do that in order to make it to tomorrow, right? I, I, just, I just can't get in this uh, habit of saying I was an addict and now I'm not. This condition exists within me. And I truly believe that if I stray away from this formula that I found is effective for me and keeping me sober over time, I, I will uh, use again, you know? Uh, so, so the That's condition is, it exists within me 24 hours a day. I've just, uh, had a spiritual experience through the 12 step yeah. work. And I stay in this position of neutrality, safe and protected. As long as I do a few simple things on a daily basis. And that's usually, uh, trust God, clean the inventory and help others. Right. That's real. So my wife asks, so is it still a temptation to you guys? Or are you able, or so like, through doing your steps and, and and leaning on God, whatever you're leaning on, like through that, like if you could be around these things and you wouldn't, you wouldn't stumble. The obsession is removed. I don't have a substance. Amen. I am Amen. neutral. Yeah. God took that away from me. And as long as I stay close to him and do his work well, that obsession stays at bay for another 24 hours. You know, mm. I managed a halfway house for like two years. I'm finding heroin, crack, syringes all the time searching these kids rooms flush it down the toilet make a phone call to help this kid get back into detox keep it moving don't even bat an eyelash because i'm in this position of neutrality because of the spiritual experience that took place uh by working the steps so you're free freedom free baby freedom. liberated <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you kid like uh yeah what about you what was kid? the question uh like um <laughs> The once an addict, always an addict. Do you reject that, or do you like kind of what they're saying? Do you like? How do you feel about that? Um, I think you feed your addiction differently. You switch one up for another, and it can be positive or negative. So, like, I use the energy in which I used to drink, um, and I put it towards like my ministry, whether it's with activism, whether it's with my businesses, um, whether it's um, you know, majoring in divinity and everything like that. So, I think. I don't necessarily like the term addict because I think it's stigmatized in a sense. That's just for me personally. But I do believe that the addiction, the I guess like the gene, the addiction gene doesn't go away. You just switch up the flavor of what you're going to use to feed that addiction. Um, and mm. for myself, as far as the temptations and the urges go, 
mine was and as i've shared with you a couple times ap mine was more so my emotions were so overwhelming overwhelming so i would use something to alleviate that so obviously the emotions never go away but what i do with those emotions is what makes a difference in how i get through them because we can't control the waves that that are going to hit us as people and as um you know when we it, it, i assume everybody's um saved on screen but when we gave our lives to god that doesn't mean that like say depression anger yada 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 isn't going to happen but how you handle it is way differently so you can't control the waves that come at you but you control whether or not you're going to go with the wave or you're going to punch through the wave so that's just my thoughts no that's fire um so yeah i wanted to end it with like Give y'all, I'm gonna end that. So, like, give y'all, if somebody watching this is addicted to any type of narcotic, any type of drug, give like them the word of advice from someone that's been through that and made out the other side. What would you tell somebody watching this who was uh, addicted to drugs? What would be your advice to them in this final moment? I'll start with you, Jay. Ladies you may today. feel like you're alone, but like you're not. You're not mm-hmm. alone. That's the thing is like, I back to the stigma thing, you know, you feel like you're alone, but like, you're not, you're so not alone. And there is so much help out there. And like, that's why I love going to school for this because I can find all the different ways to help people. There's so many programs, you know, some people, you know, are okay with, you know, rehabs or going away for a little bit or whatever, but no matter what, there's a program out there for you. You just have to find what works for you. But there is help and hope. All right. What about you, Matt? What would be your words to somebody watching this if they're struggling with addiction? I would say go on the internet, search the nearest and soonest 12-step meeting that's around you. Get there. Doesn't matter if you're high or drunk or withdrawing. Um, raise your hand and say, I, I, I need help. I can't stop. You know, uh, I'll say that again. Google 12-step meeting in your area. Go. Raise your hand and say, I need help. I can't stop. I don't know what to do. Uh, I don't know how to control this thing. Can somebody please help me? And uh, somebody who has sustained recovery in that room will approach you and will give you everything that you need, which is essentially taking your hand and putting it in God's hand. Um, that is the best piece of advice that I could give anybody who's struggling with addiction. I don't care what phase you're at, get yourself to a 12 step meeting and, and verbalize what's going on and then allow uh, the men or the women in the program to do what they do, which is offer you the solution that is working for them. That's deep, bro. Uh, what about you, kid? What would be your advice to somebody watching this if they struggle with any type of addiction? What would be your your advice for them so my personal revelation was if it worked it would have worked the first time and for me you know having to keep up in the dosage and increasing the dosage it just let me know that it wasn't working my tolerance was being built and growing over time so i would just tell anybody because there's always a trigger when it comes to your addiction um figure out what that trigger is especially if it's emotional because something I've learned in therapy, it's better to do something about your emotions than to have your emotions do something about you. Hmm. And and that's that and you and you know, even just talking, a lot of people don't talk um to people. Find people you trust in which you know you could talk to when everything gets crazy. Because 
it's usually those moments when you feel like you're alone, especially with your emotions, is when it gets dangerous. The minute you feel like a trigger is coming up, whoever you can trust that will come over with crust in their eyes at th- three o'clock <laughs> in the morning, call them. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, that person, you're going to have to make sure you trust that person, too, because when you call them, they're going to expect to come. You're going to expect them to come. And that's about it. Love yourself by doing that. You know, don't surround yourself with anybody you think is fickle, period. That's real. Uh, yeah, my homie Brandon said something that I was just thinking. Like, he said, we look at drug addicts differently because the consequence of their addiction is way more public. But everybody is addicted to something. And then, and that's real. Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, that's super real, Brandon. That's kind of what I've been learning over the years. And like, as I'm growing and maturing, like, it's real easy to point the finger at people that have like outward sins. They're like loud. Well, we well we we can debate what sin and what's not sin, but it's real easy for us to be like, well, that person's bad. But like, there's things in my life like I was. Ad- can you be addicted to weed? I don't know. I felt like I was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was. I was addicted to weed and women and 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 trying to get famous. Like I was addicted to these things. Like I found my identity in them. Without it, I felt weird. I had withdrawals. I don't know what I was addicted to it. So I think I'm doing this so people could have more grace for people that are in this journey and this process of addiction. Because I know for myself, I didn't have that coming up. I had people around me that were doing this and I didn't care. I mm-hmm. just like it, it was out of sight, out of mind. It wasn't super in my face, but I kind of knew what was going on and I didn't do anything to stop it. So I just want to get rid of the stigmas behind people suffering with addiction. If you tuned in way later, uh, we talked mm-hmm. about the mind of an addict. We talked about um, what what are the what are the signs of somebody's an addict? Like, how can you help an addict? How can you not enable them? That's what I want this conversation to be about. How can we grow and help our brothers and sisters who struggle mm-hmm. with addiction? Because from what y'all are saying, it's super real. It's super uncontrollable. And I know people have a hard time thinking that anything is uncontrollable. But not like like all y'all said, you needed some type of higher power to, mm-hmm. to, to come in and, and help you and fix you. So that's kind of my message to y'all. Like whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, you can lean on God. Like he could take away these things. It, it might not feel like it in the moment, but I promise it, it takes surrender. When you mm-hmm. surrender your will, you surrender your way of thinking, you surrender your way of doing things. These people right here are proof that you can change. They were they were addicts. They were people that were, had no hope. They were down and out, and, and they 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 went to something higher than them, and they found freedom. So if anybody watching this, um, I put their names up. If you need help, uh, I'm pretty sure they would not mind you reaching out to them and asking questions, uh, and just like asking them like how they did it. And you know, y'all know me. I'm an open book. I'm always here. My DMs are open. And I could always direct you to the right people. I don't know everything about this subject, <laughs> but, I, but I could always direct you to the to the source. So, yeah, y'all, this is episode number 15 of Let's Talk About a Podcast. Uh, we talked about addiction, y'all, RIP DMX. And once again, uh, break the cycle gear, man. Uh, this, this, this episode right here is about breaking the cycle, honestly, like breaking the cycle of addiction, y'all. And I just hope that y'all got something out of this. Like, that's my hope with all this. I don't really care about the views and the likes and all that. My hope is that people can get something out of this and they can leave change and they leave like wanting more and wanting to do better. So 
I don't know, y'all. I'm thinking about making this the last episode of season one and taking like a two-week break to, to regenerate and all that. I'm going to let y'all know. But right now, this is episode 15, BreakTheCycleGear.com. And uh, we out. Chill. <clears throat> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. You are now tuned in to the Let's Talk About a Podcast. Where no question is too dumb and no conversation is too deep. I'm your host, AP. Let's agree to disagree and keep that same energy. Hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought that was-